Well, good morning and welcome to the Mission Church Online. My name is Zach and I'm the pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, um, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 16. Today's sermon title is The Work of the Holy Spirit, um, or maybe The Work of the Holy Spirit in Your Life. Now, let me start with a question. When is the last time you experienced the work of of God and His Spirit in your life, or maybe the work of God and His Spirit through your life. When is the last time you had one of those moments where you just thought to yourself, wow, that, that had to be God? Or one of those moments where, where God did something through you that was so beyond you that you just thought, like, okay, that, that was a God moment. That's really what this passage is about. It's, it's a passage about how Jesus reveals to you and I that he desires for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us and through us. I want you to think about that for a moment because that's pretty incredible that God wants to work in you and through you. That God has big purposes for you and, and he wants to use you for your good in his glory. And the way that he often does that is through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, one of my um, prayers for my own life and definitely a prayer for our church is that God would use me in a way that can only be explained by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, that God would do in our church things that can only be explained by the Holy Spirit. I, I wonder if you want to see that in your life, to see God work in you, to see God work through you. It's a bit of what this passage is about. So John chapter 16, um, verse 4 is where we will begin. And um, before Jesus begins to tell us the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he starts with a promise that he makes to you and I. Now, we need to remember as we read this that this is the night before Jesus' um, death on the cross. He is leaving his disciples. He knows that he is leaving them. He's trying to tell that to them. Um, and there's a little bit of confusion on their part, um, and then there's a significant amount of concern on their part because they don't want to see Jesus leave. So let's look at the words of Jesus here. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. He's referring to his death and resurrection. He's going, <coughs> excuse me, He's going to the Heavenly Father. And he says, And none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because, <clears throat> because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So they, they're sad. They're bummed out. And, and for good reason. Can you imagine for a moment, put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples here. They have left everything. They've left their job to follow Jesus. And they've spent three and a half years with Jesus. And it's been incredible. And it's been exciting. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him heal different people. They've got to see firsthand all of these things. And maybe even it says that they had even healed some people too. So, so 
They had lived this incredible three and a half years with Jesus beside them. And now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you. And the disciples, they're filled with sorrow and they're filled with concern. Wait a second, Jesus. What do you mean you're leaving us? How can you do that to us? What are we to do next? Probably a sense of hopelessness. But Jesus makes them a promise and it's a promise for you and I too. He says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Did did you hear what he said there? Jesus said, I know that you're filled with sorrow because I'm leaving, but I want to tell you something. It's actually better that I leave. It's to your advantage that I leave. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what Jesus is saying to these sorrowful disciples is he says, guys, stop feeling bad that I will no longer be beside you. Something better is going to happen. Something better than me beside you is going to happen. I am going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. To put it differently, Jesus is making this statement. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder how many of you have thought to yourself, man, if I could have just been like Peter and James and John and and, and those other disciples, if I could have been like them and to have Jesus in the flesh beside me and I was there when he was performing the miracles, man, I think that I, I, would have, I would do way bigger things for God if I had Jesus beside me. I wonder if you thought that. Because Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying, actually, you are going to do bigger and greater and more significant things without me beside you, but rather with the Holy Spirit inside you. And guys, right now, In my devotional time, I'm reading the book of Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the story of the disciples with the Holy Spirit inside of them and Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so it's the Holy Spirit inside of the disciples and it's it's one of the most exciting books of the Bible to read because you have these ordinary men and ordinary women who are being used by God for things that can only be explained by God. And what's happening is the work of the Holy Spirit is working in them and through them, which which is astounding to think about that for a moment. Um, And I think that we need to be reminded that the book of Acts is not some ancient document. It's meant to be this living document that that is, is meant to be lived out today. It's not as if we read the book of Acts and go, man, those were the days when the Holy Spirit really worked through people. Those were the days where the Holy Spirit really showed up and did incredible works through different people. No, we shouldn't read it that way. We should read it and go, Holy Spirit, I want you to work through me the same exact way you worked through Peter and Paul and and, and James and, and Stephen and, and just, just name and, and marry um, and all of these people. 
And the Holy Spirit is able and the Holy Spirit is willing. And so Jesus starts with an astounding promise. He says, guys, I'm not going to be with you, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that's actually going to be better than me being beside you. Now, here's what Jesus does next. He tells us four different things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, that he does in us and he does through us. Now, the Holy Spirit does way more than these four things. Um, It's just in this passage, Jesus really only mentions four. So, So what are they? He lists the first three kind of rapid fire. He says this, and when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will first convict the world of sin, Second, convict the world of righteousness. And third, convict the world of judgment. So the Holy Spirit is going to do four things, at least in this passage Jesus is teaching us. And the first three are this. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of righteousness. And he's going to convict the world of judgment. But what does that even mean? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to convict you of righteousness or judgment? Here's what I want to do. I want to tell you a really short story that I think captures all three of these, and then we'll circle back and and just draw out each three of these and and what it means and what it looks like. So this story is a story I actually heard very recently, a few few days ago. I was talking with a dear family friend of mine. He's, He's almost 80 years old. I've known him my whole entire life, or rather he's known me my whole entire life. Just a man of God. And he was telling me the story of his dad. So when his dad was 60 years old, uh, so this was a long time ago, his dad, because he's 80 now, and he's telling the story about his dad when his dad was 60. His dad was 60 years old, and up until that point, he had been an alcoholic his whole entire life. His dad had been married, um, was it 11 times? Up until that point, 11 times he had been married. Can you imagine? And one day, um, his dad, who is an alcoholic, has been married and remarried and divorced and remarried and all over again, 11 different times, is sitting on the side of a street and some man, some just random man, comes up to him and puts some money in his shirt pocket just like this and said something like this, um, I'm not sure if you need the money, um, but but here it is. But I wanna tell you real quickly about something I know you need for sure. And he just very shortly shared with him the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shared with him that Jesus died on the cross for his sins and could forgive him of every single sin and that through Jesus, he could have eternal life. And that through Jesus, he, he could be healed of any brokenness that he has and, and to live a life of meaning and significant and purpose and impact. And then the man, and the man walked away. They didn't exchange names. They didn't exchange numbers. Just, just walked right away. And for the next two weeks, two weeks, so nothing happened instantly, Next two weeks, you know, kept on living his normal lifestyle, but he could not shake these man's words about Jesus. And finally, after two weeks, 
He surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He repented of his sin, confessed his sin, repented of his sin, and listen to this, and he never touched another drop of alcohol. I mean, just like that. that. That's the power of the gospel, right? That's the power of the gospel. Heals this man of his alcoholism, never touches the bottle again. He remarries and ends up being married to that woman for the next 18 years or something like that. Now, in that story, incredible story, by the way, isn't it? You see the Holy Spirit convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. All three of those things happen. And that's all three Jesus speaks about. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. Jesus says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe. Now, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin? Have you ever had that moment? where you're struck in the heart and you realize you've done something wrong. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. If you go back to the story, for two weeks, this man cannot shake the good news of the gospel. He can't shake it. He doesn't make any changes to his life, but he just cannot stop thinking about the gospel. What's going on? The Holy Spirit is convicting this man of his sin for two weeks straight. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of our sin. You ever had that moment where maybe you're talking with something and you make a funny joke and and everybody laughs except the person you made the joke about and a few hours later, your heart is struck and you realize, oh, I should not have said that to that person. That, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Or maybe you, um, your kids are doing something you don't like and you respond and you really raise your voice or maybe you discipline them too harshly and a couple hours go by and, and the Holy Spirit convicts you. There's a conviction that comes over you and go, oh, I blew it, I shouldn't have raised my voice, or I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He reveals he re- here, I put it this way, the Holy Spirit reveals and points out to us our sin. This is the work of the Spirit in our life. He points out us our sin. Now listen, for some of us, this does not sound very appealing. How many of you like it when your sin is pointed out? It's, it's at least, at the very least, it's very uncomfortable. If not, it can be, it can be hard. But it's a gift, isn't it? It's a gift. Here's what I mean. Many of you know my my dad has cancer. Um, And we figured out in January, the beginning of January, that that was the most, that might have been the most devastating day of my life. I'm sure it was the most devastating day of my dad's life. How much it hurt But do you know what the doctor said to him? I think it was a month or so later after he took all the tests and it was confirmed he had cancer and and came up with a treatment plan. The doctor said to him, yeah, the kind of cancer you had, you probably have only had it for six to nine months, so it's very, very aggressive. And And he said something along these lines. And if we wouldn't have caught it, you would have had... A a, a number of months to live. 
He, he, was, he was framing up the rest of his life in a number of months. My point is this. Nobody wants to get a cancer diagnosis, but if you have cancer, you need a cancer diagnosis. Because left untreated, left unknown, it will kill you. And so nobody likes it. Nobody is excited when they are convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin. But if you are not convicted of your sin, it will kill you. If you are not convicted of the way that you're sinning against your children, it will kill the relationship with you, that you have with your kids. It may kill the kind of future that you desire to have for them or with them. If you are not convicted of your sin, of what you have said to someone, and, and you're not convicted of it, it might kill that relationship. If you are not convicted when you sin against your spouse, it will slowly but surely kill your marriage, and so on and so forth. So listen, this, this is not exciting, joyful, exciting, joyful thing, but it is a desperate, needed thing. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit when he convicts you of sin. So that's the first thing he does. The second is this. He, he, he convicts us of righteousness. Verse 10 says this, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus is referring to his death and his resurrection. He's saying, I'm going to go and die on the cross for the sins of the world, and then I'm going to rise from the dead, giving you eternal life. I'm going to the Father. That's what he's speaking of. And so um, what it means for the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, it means that the Holy Spirit points out to us our sin, but what it means for the Holy Spirit to convict us of our righteousness means that the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus, the only one who can make us right, the only one who can make us righteous because of his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit points us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He convicts us of righteousness, meaning he points us to Jesus, the one who can make us right or righteous before God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is a verse worth memorizing because it's so important. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, that's Jesus, in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the picture. When Jesus dies on the cross and when we trust in Jesus as our Savior, Jesus gets all of our sin and we get all of his righteousness. And so going back to the story that I told here, the work of the Holy Spirit convicting this 60-year-old man of righteousness was the moment he surrendered his life to Jesus. For two weeks, the Holy Spirit was convicting of his sin, and then he has this moment where he exchanges his sin for Christ's righteousness, and it's the Holy Spirit convicting him and pointing him to righteousness. The Holy Spirit does a third thing. He convicts us concerning judgment because the ruler of the world, the ruler of this world is judged. So 
First, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, meaning he points out to us what we have done wrong. Then he convicts us of righteousness, meaning that he um, points us to the one and only person who can make us righteous, that's Jesus. And then he convicts us of judgment, which is the work the Holy Spirit does that points us to the victory that we have in Jesus over sin and over death. Do you see that? Because the ruler of this world, that's the devil, is judged. I put it this way, the Holy Spirit points us to the victory we have over sin and death that we have in Jesus. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 puts it this way, and you who were dead in your trust passages, passes, passes and uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the, count, the, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the picture is this. Jesus is dying on the cross. Everyone is yelling at Jesus, spitting at Jesus, mocking Jesus. But what you and I know is happening is Jesus is triumphing and standing victorious and putting to death all of our sins. He is putting to death the rulers and authorities of, these world, of this world. The cross is not a picture of Jesus' humiliation. It is a picture of Jesus' victory. And so going back to that story that I told you, you have the Holy Spirit convicting of this man of his sin for two weeks. You have the Holy Spirit then working in this man's life and convicting him of his, of his need of Jesus' righteousness and he trusts himself to Jesus. But then, for the next rest of his life, he never touches a drop of alcohol. He, he, he remarries and stays married for the rest of his life. How did he do that? How did he drop alcohol that way? How did he stay married for the next 18 years of his life? How did he do that when he had never done that at all for the previous years of his life? Here's how he did it. The Holy Spirit was working in him. The Holy Spirit was reminding him day in and day out of the judgment of Jesus, that Jesus has judged the ruler of this world and has triumphed over the ruler of this world and stands victorious over the ruler of this world. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Conviction of sin, pointing you to the righteousness of Jesus and pointing you to the victory you have in Jesus. Now I want to make two observations before we go to this last thing that Jesus teaches us about what the Holy Spirit does. And it's important. Observation number one, conviction of sin is never enough. When you read your Bible and you're convicted, and maybe you journal something, oh, I'm so convicted by this verse, and you do nothing about it, 
your conviction is in vain. Or maybe you sin against your children and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you go, oh, I totally blew it. And you do nothing about it. That conviction is in vain. Or you sin against your spouse and you're convicted and oh, I totally blew it. But you don't go to your spouse and you don't apologize and you don't ask for forgiveness. That conviction is in vain. That conviction, it, it, it means nothing. The work of the Holy Spirit to convict. Conviction is only the first part of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The reason why the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin is not merely just to convict you of your sin, but to then lead you to repentance. Read Acts 2, 37 through 38. Peter just gets done preaching this message to thousands of people. And it says, now when they heard this, they had just heard the message of the gospel, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. That's what was happening. The Holy Spirit convicted them. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Notice Peter doesn't say, you've been convicted, that's enough. He says, no, 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 repent. Repent of your sin. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you, listen to this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are not experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe the reason why is because you have not been living in repentance. Do you, do you see the, the progression there? Do you, do you see how it unfolds? Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So some of you, you have not been experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life or through your life. Listen, ask yourself a question. Are you living a life of repentance? Repentance is not a one-time thing, guys. Repentance is ongoing. Why? Because your sin is ongoing, is it not? I know mine is. I know that there, there, does not go, there is not a day that goes by where I do not fall short, whether publicly or privately. This is why James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be, that you may be healed. So conviction of your sin is never enough. You need to repent of that sin. And guys, Here's the good news. We are able to joyfully repent of that sin. We are able to joyfully confess our sin. Why? Because Jesus forgives you every single time. So here's what you should pray. I, I try and pray this most days. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is David praying and he's basically praying, Holy Spirit, 
Reveal to me, convict me of any sin that I've committed. When's the last time you prayed that? When's the last time you got on your knees and and you said, Holy Spirit, I, I know that I'm not perfect. Would you reveal to me my imperfections and then go do something about it? Go and ask for forgiveness. Go and reconcile. Because conviction is never enough. Observation number two. um, This is what the Holy Spirit does in you and also through you. So up until this point, I've been talking about how the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, convicts you of righteousness, and convicts you of judgment. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit not only does this in you, but he will do this through you. So let's go back to this incredible story that I told Here is this unnamed man. Have no idea who he is. He drops a few dollars in this man's shirt, shares the gospel with him, and then walks away. This man right here, this man has no idea that the guy he gave $20 or $10 or whatever it was has no idea that he trusted in Jesus as his Savior. But God used him. And God wants to use you too. God wants to use you to lead other people to salvation. I hope you know that. Um, This passage follows the passage I preached on last week. Do you remember last week's passage? Last week's passage was all about how the world is going to hate you. How the world is not going to like that you follow Jesus. But the passage kind of ends with Jesus saying, but here's what you need to do. You need to tell the world about Jesus. They may hate you for it, but they need the good news of the gospel because they'll die and go to hell without the gospel. You know that, right? This is big news. This is a big deal. And so what Jesus is saying to you and I is the work of the Holy Spirit, he convicts you, but he also convicts others. He does the work of righteousness in your heart, but he also uses you to do the work of righteousness and victory over sin in the the hearts of others. So you and I, here's what this means. You and I can go and boldly share the good news of the gospel knowing that it's not us who brings people to salvation. It is the Holy Spirit using you and I to bring people to salvation. Let's look at the last one here. The last thing that the Holy Spirit does um, in our lives and through our lives. Jesus says, I still have have many things to say to you. Notice that. Jesus says, there's still more to tell you. There's still things I haven't told you. I need to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Do you hear that? He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here's the other thing that the Holy Spirit does in your life and my life. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and the things to come. Did you see that? He will guide you into all the truth and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Have you ever had a decision 
that you need to make and you don't know the right one, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you and lead you what might come. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to lead you and to guide you. Let me end by just giving you some things of application. How do we see the work of the Holy Spirit in our life? How do we do this? Let me give you two or three things. First, pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24. This is just real practical. Just do this every single day. Here it is. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. Give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to convict you of your sins so that you can repent and turn from those sins. Here's the second thing. How do we see the work of the Holy Spirit in our life? Second is this. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Just ask. There's this incredible passage in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus is, remember that line where he says, ask and it will be given, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And then at the end of that he says, anyone who asks the Father, how will he not give you the Holy Spirit? That's what he says. You want to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, ask for it. Ask for the Holy Spirit to convict you. Ask for the Holy Spirit to use you to lead others to salvation. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask, ask, ask. And then here's the other thing. Pray in the Holy Spirit. So ask for the Holy Spirit and then pray in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says this. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um. The book of Jude, Jude chapter 1, verse 20, also talks about praying, um, praying in the Spirit or praying by the Spirit. What, what, is it, what does it mean to pray by the Spirit or pray in the Spirit? I think that there, there might be a lot more to this, but, but at a minimum, I think what it means to pray by the Spirit is to pray in search to pray, there's that other passage in First uh, Thessalonians, the very end, maybe Second Thessalonians, where it says, pray without ceasing. I think that's the idea of praying by the Spirit or praying in the Spirit. It's this idea that every single moment that you're walking through, you take a moment and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what would you have me say? Okay, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? It's... It's that, it's that intent, to pray in the Spirit, I think, is that intentional moment where you just pause and you listen for the Holy Spirit to lead you or guide you. It's like this, right before this sermon, I spent some time praying, praying over this sermon, praying through this sermon, okay, Holy Spirit, lead and guide. Um, earlier, um, I, I had a staff meeting and um, before my staff meeting, I prayed, okay, Lord, would you lead and would you guide this time? And, and I'm just, I, I want to, uh, and, 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 and every single meeting I go to or every single interaction that I, that I have, I spend a moment before that moment or sometimes in the middle of the meeting, something's going on and I'm just going, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? 
What do you want me to say? And I, it's an intentional moment of, of, of listening prayer. I know that sounds really, really spiritual. I'm not trying to be spiritual. But I, I say listening prayer because most of us, when we pray, we just do all the talking. But it's a moment where we just go, okay, Holy Spirit, what might you have me say or do? And then you listen, and maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit will convict you. Maybe the Holy Spirit will guide you in a different way or a different avenue. So let me end with two questions for you to consider. What is the Holy Spirit convicting your heart of right now that you need to repent of? Maybe consider spending some time journaling that or praying through that. And then lastly, where is the Holy Spirit guiding you in this season? Or maybe you might change the question, where is the Holy Spirit trying to guide you in this season? Think, both of these questions demand that we examine our lives. And unfortunately, many of us live very unexamined lives. Um, I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the divine examiner. He, he points us to the truth of who Jesus is. He points us to the truth. He guides us. He leads us. But listen, if you want to see the work of the Holy Spirit, if you want to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, slow down. And ask him to convict your heart so that you can repent and follow him. Ask what it looks like for him to guide you in this season. Go and do that today and this week. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit that lives in us, that dwells in us. Right now, the Holy Spirit is in us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, will you speak to each person's heart who hears this? That you would convict them of their sin, that you would, you would convict them of the righteousness that they have in you, Jesus, reveal to them the, the righteousness they have in you, Jesus, and reveal to them the victory they have in you, Jesus, and guide them in your will, in your way, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.